But I think one of the big uh, challenges or, or ways in which, um, uh, you know, we certainly try and help our attraction partners is that um, you need to really, to take advantage of an app and everything that it can offer, you need to look at it um, holistically. And I think it's really important that, you know, attractions have a trusted partner on the digital side um, to help them understand the role of technology within their organization, especially from a guest-facing perspective. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically. Josh, how are you? Excellent. Way to uh, turn that into an adverb. <laughs> I, I'm here to uh, challenge the uh, the English language. <laughs> and I'm channeling my middle school uh, grammar lessons there. <laughs> adding, adding L-Y always makes it an I know it's not always, but <laughs> question for you. Yeah. How important do you think a park map is to a theme park, amusement park, zoo, museum, aquarium, any, any large attraction that guests need to navigate their way around? Do you want me to answer that as a guest, as an enthusiast, as an operator? So maybe all three. So <laughs> yeah, I hadn't really thought that far into it. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're very important. I think having a way to a number one get information right about your visit while you're in the facility, using it as a way to find. Um, you know, show times and, you know, attraction times or, you know, things like that. Um, and then finding your way around, I think is, is critical. Now, what I've noticed is that in the last couple of times, I've even gone to new parks with enthusiast buddies. We're like, eh, we don't need a map. Right. And honestly, we just like to kind of find our way around and it's, it's worked out for us. Now we're not traveling with little kids where we need to, you know, make sure we do certain things. We're, we're nonchalantly you know, enjoying the, the, the experience. But if we needed more guidance, then the map, I think, would be important. From an operator standpoint, I know that we used to always teach people, you know, as employees, that 99% of the questions that you're going to get from guests can be answered in the map, right? So have one handy for, with you, you know, know it back and forward. Um, so I think from that standpoint, a map is, is critical. And like you mentioned, as we're talking to our guests, from a um, souvenir standpoint, they can be, they can be really important. So uh, those are some of my outlooks. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. So they, they can also be a great guest service tool. You, you didn't think I was going to go this deep into maps. Um, <laughs> so, so one of the things, again, we used to teach a lot is if you see a guest looking at a map, they're probably looking for something or they need some information. So it's a great opportunity to go up and ask them, hey, what can I help you find? You know, what, what is it you're looking for? How can I help, you know, your experience? Um, and now with a lot of online or digital maps, right, we don't get that, that opportunity. So 
when people do have those maps, that can be a great guest engagement uh, opportunity. Yeah. So speaking of online and digital maps, uh, first of all, thank you for, for that uh, wide, in-depth analysis of the importance of a park map. I really appreciate you actually breaking it down into uh, all those categories right there. And it ties in fantastic, fantastically, an <laughs> adverb, with our guest today, Mark Locker, who is the founder and CEO of Attractions.io, which is uh, a company that builds apps, particularly with park maps, to help theme parks and amusement parks help their guests plan their day better, influence their experience, and be able to see uh, their behavior and get a lot of data and analytics from their guests that ultimately helps them uh, improve decision-making, which leads to higher revenue and profitability. You know, what's interesting is, as maybe maybe more of an old school um, kind of park enthusiast and, and experience. Or, or a digital immigrant as a, a Digital immigrant, I like that one. Um, you know, I may not be as, as um, likely to pick up a map or use the, the app as much as the features that are, that are available. But what I think is really interesting about what he talks about is all those things that I mentioned, except for when the, the guest has the map out, right? You can get through an app now, right? You can, you can get all that, that, um, that information. But I think what's really cool about the way Mark talks about it is that it's more than a map. Right. Thinking about what's the end goal that you have in mind. Do you want people to be able to order food? Well, you can't order food from a paper map. Right. You can't get um, up to date wait times from a paper map. There's a lot of things that you can't do with a paper map that you can do through the app, which really can enhance the guest experience. But I also love how he talks about trying to get the app out of the way of the guest experience, because, you know, People have created fantastical, maybe that's a word, uh, lands and uh, amazing experiences that you want people to be immersed into and not looking at your phone all the time, right? The phone should be a conduit to your next experience and creating um, the, the, the shortcut to those things that you want to experience. So um, I love how he talks about the app kind of getting out of the way of the rest of the experience. Yeah. And by the way, fantastical is a word according to Alton Towers with their fantastical escapism also to be discussed in this interview. <laughs> I, so the, this interview with Mark was, was just really interesting of being able to look at really the theme park experience from the digital perspective. And the cool thing about Mark too is like many of us in the industry started out as a consumer of the product, as an enthusiast of his home park of Alton Towers in the UK, and then being able to see the need to be able to enhance the experience uh, gave him that opportunity and, and just a, a cool startup story of, you know, back in when in 2008, when Apple really launched the app store and allowed for developers to to build platforms. Uh, and and when, when apps were first getting started back uh, during that time frame. So I'm really excited to share uh, this phenomenal interview. And, you know, one last thing that I wanted to bring up that Mark said was that, you know, from a developer standpoint, that you are not your user. Right. Mm -hmm. And really getting out of your own head in terms of what the user really needs is not what you may need. You, you may think they need as an operator. Um, and actually what that got me thinking of is that as much as we are all attraction pros. Right. And as much as we um, feel like we have um, 
you know, uh, uh, a kindred feeling with, with our listeners, you know, I think sometimes we are not our listeners and we don't have all the same, same opinions and thoughts that our listeners have. So, um, I, I feel like that's a good springboard for us to say, we want to hear more from our listeners, right? Just as this is the app gives the operators more data. We want to hear more from our listeners. So whether you're engaging with us on socials or you send us an email at attractionpros at gmail.com, you know, we want to hear from you. If you have ideas for guests, if you have ideas for topics, um, if there's things that you want to hear us uh, explore a little bit more, more deeply, then we absolutely want to hear from you as well. And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on Google Podcasts. Uh, that'll help other people find the show, which, of course, uh, uh, we would love the, the support from that. But uh, in the meantime, I'd say let's get to this interview, this fantastical interview with Mark Locker. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Josh. Excellent. Uh, thanks so much for being here. We're really looking forward to jumping into this conversation. So to get this started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as Attractions.io? Sure. Yep. Yeah. So um, I'm founder and CEO of Attractions.io, which is a, a mobile app platform for visitor attractions. Um, and being involved really now in the attractions industry professionally for around 15 years, um, uh, from seeing it from all angles, really. Um so, uh, you know, I've, in my teenage years, I was very much an enthusiast. Um, I've also worked at attractions on the front line. Um, and now I visit Park, obviously, with my, my two children. Uh, so, yeah, seen it from all angles. And that's what we do. So, Mark, how does being an enthusiast and actually working at the parks now inform sort of what you do as uh, someone who builds apps for the parks? Well, I think it's a useful perspective, right? Um, I mean, like so many others in the industry, my passion really started, you know, well before the 15 years I've been involved professionally. So it was probably when I was seven or eight years old that, uh, you know, I really fell in love with uh, attractions in the industry. I remember very clearly sitting in the back of um, my parents' car, going to my annual trip uh, to Alton Towers, which obviously big, biggest park in the UK, really. Um totally filled with uh, just awe and excitement about what was ahead. I, I started collecting maps actually when I was sort of seven, eight years old of the park. Um, and that's what I do on the way. I'd just be sitting in the back, looking at the map, be like, wow, this, this is amazing. Um, I think uh, just, just to give you a bit of, I suppose, the story of, of how I got into it and how that shaped my thinking around um, bringing uh, technology to attractions Um that was sort of my my earliest memory of attractions sort of yeah going on the annual trip to Alton Towers uh but then I also when I got to university um I was studying computing um uh, I'm a software engineer by by trade originally and uh I spent time uh, again working at Alton Towers actually on the front line as a ride host and a ride operator uh delivering on their brand promise of fantastical escapism um for sort of two or three years um, and then I think as found as founder and CEO of Attractions I obviously also work with um, some brilliant attraction brands around the world as a supplier to the industry as well. Um, so in terms of Attractions IO and how that weaves into the story, um, it really got started because of the combination of those those passions really. Um, 
And uh, I mean, the, the founding story, you, you have to go way back to sort of March 20, 2008 for that. Um, so Apple uh, held an event in their headquarters in California. They announced the iPhone uh, software development kit, which was basically the first time that um, they'd open up their platform so that third party developers could create apps for their phones. Um, and that very evening, I went around to a friend's house who was also into technology and who'd been visiting um, attractions with me. We'd, we'd actually, uh, I'd started a fan site uh, for Alton Towers when I was 12 years old. Um, and this friend had worked with me on that fan site, um, helping build up. And we actually had thousands of members. We visited all sorts of uh, attractions together. And um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fun times. Uh, but I went around to his house. We downloaded uh, the, the SDK. It was really late our time as well, because I was the time difference from, from California. Uh, but we kind of stayed up through the night and, and built our first app there and then. And because we were running this fan, fan site for Alton Towers, um, we ended up spending every weekend basically visiting the park and, um, and working on the app, uh, figuring out how to sort of show how far it was from the different rides and present different information, show everything on a map of the park. Uh, and we actually ended up releasing the first theme park related app to the store and um, that, that ranked in the top 10 travel apps. I remember it very, very clearly. Um, and that's how, that's how we kind of got into it. So I think the, the perspective really was born out of, um, because I was so passionate for the industry and I've always had a passion for technology as well. Um, I was, I, you could just immediately see the opportunity for how this technology could, could help with just what I enjoyed doing, which was going and visiting the park. So I really, it really came about from building something that I wish existed. Um, and I think that the real, the real exciting thing about it was, you know, when the iPhone originally launched and people maybe for, forget this, but there wasn't an app store, there wasn't GPS. I mean, it, the original iPhone didn't have a lot, but it was, it was the year after that initial launch, 2008, when they opened up to developers, they added 3G, which gave you fast internet. They added GPS, which meant we can understand where you were. Um, and of course, yeah, again, easy to forget, but this was a totally a different device than we, we'd ever had before it, it enabled so many opportunities and for me just being so passionate about theme parks and visiting them all the time um i could just see so clearly like oh, i would love it if there was a an app that could help me to find my way around and show how, how far away things were and especially alton towers because if, if i don't know if you've been but it's it's incredibly um uh vast you know the grounds and there's a lot there's a massive gardens in the middle and it's actually quite hard uh to find your way around it's probably a half an hour walk from one end of the park to the other there's lots of different pathways you could go through so i could really see the problems that that it could solve and that, that's really where the idea formed from yeah well you make a good point about alton towers being difficult to navigate i've, <laughs> I've been there actually i had an opportunity to go through part of their orientation maybe about 10 11 years ago so when you said fantastical escapism that just uh, <laughs> triggered in my memory that that uh, that slogan there um but there's that massive ravine in the middle of the park too so if you don't know that there's that terrain you might think okay i'm going to go from here to here but not realize that you you literally aren't able to do that so you, you get the SDK to build the app, to put into the app store. It makes it in the, the top 10 and the, the travel related section of the apps. Uh, projecting that a little bit forward, at, at what point did it become a business? Did you, did you see that there was business opportunity or at the time you're running a fan site, which uh, actually for, <laughs> I, I ran a fan site for Cedar Point when I was in high school and I think it fizzled out after I went to college. <laughs> now you're able to there kind you of 
kind of like leapfrog from one step to the next, did you see that there was a business opportunity here or is this an extension of your fan site? Well, to start with, it was definitely an extension of the fan site. I mean, um, like I say, it was really just building what we wanted to, to do when we visited the park each, each, each weekend. We thought this would be cool. We could see why this would be useful. Um, we obviously had friends and things who weren't so obsessed with uh, theme parks and didn't know the park like the back of their hand. And so, you know, we were excited about what we could do um, to help normal visitors. And that's why we uh, got unofficial guides published into the store. And that, that was the beginnings of it. So it definitely started um, just as an extension of the fan site and just as a hobby and an interest and, you know, something that, that we did for that. And it was probably... I guess between 2008 time when that obviously kicked off and 2016, um, we, that's what we were doing. We did turn it into a business quite early. I think 2009, we actually started turning it into a business insofar as we operated as what I would call kind of a micro agency. So it was actually just me and my friend. I mentioned um, the two of us doing apps as standalone development projects. So we'd just go and speak to parks and pitch them. In fact, our, our first customer um was uh, a park called lightwater valley in the uk um so i think they have around two hundred thousand visitors a year it's quite a small park um but we had some connections there and we, we went over to them and just said hey you know could we build you an official app for your park um we actually don't want anything for it we just we just think it's fun uh, we want to we want to see if you know th this would be useful for for guests um they were like yeah absolutely uh, so we uh, we delivered that um and then we went down the road I say down the road, uh, it's, it's about an hour's drive, but it's uh, another park in, in Yorkshire that's much bigger, Flamingoland. Uh, we went to them and we said, hey, look what we've done for Lightwater Valley. Um, would you like to uh, have an app yourselves? They were actually our first paying customer. Um, and obviously the rest, as they say, is history. Only it's kind of not because that was, let's say, that was us operating as a micro agency. We'd go and pitch like, uh, like any agency would with a scope and a brief and timelines and cost. Um, and what we saw the opportunity, what we saw the business opportunity for really was um, to turn this into a platform. Um, so we knew that the technology involved that we've been working on for a long time now with wayfinding, location services, notifications, maps, we knew all of that was actually really hard to do well. And there were some challenges around over the air updates and battery life and all these things you had to tackle. And so um, the, the idea was that if we could turn that into a platform that was scalable, then it would be accessible to lots of attractions. And it would mean that attractions um, that I visited day in, day out would be able to do this. I think there's also, um, you know, attractions aren't technology businesses. So for them to, particularly earlier on, you know, it's become more, uh, more and more popular, obviously having apps for attractions and things like that. But in the earlier days when it wasn't so popular, it was also just a massive project to undertake uh, to go and do this. They wouldn't obviously do it themselves because they, uh, you know, most attractions don't have in-house uh, software engineering teams. So they might partner with an agency, but just knowing how difficult that was, as I say, um, to do, we just saw this opportunity to turn it into a platform, a software as a service model. Um, and so that's what we did. So it was 2016. I, I quit my, uh, my full-time job as a software engineer. Um, and uh, yeah, we moved into some offices here in the UK and uh, started to, to build out the platform. So that, that was the beginnings of it. And that's the sort of epiphany we had that seems, seems obvious now, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. 
Mark, I love hearing your origin story, how you would go to parks originally and look at the maps, right? And study the maps and figure it out. And now you're building maps, right? So <laughs> yes. it all kind of comes full circle. Um, I'm curious though, you, you mentioned something really, really interesting. You said parks are not technology companies and they probably wouldn't think of this first, at least you know years ago when you were starting out. Did you have trouble convincing some folks that they actually needed it? Um, yes, I think, um, I think it's a, yeah, there's, there's some, I've got some interesting thoughts on that really. I, I think that, um, it, it, it's a big thing that, that parks aren't, aren't technology businesses, you know? Um, and what, what we've tend to see happens, particularly with, when you talk about mobile apps is you might, um, uh, talk to an attraction about a mobile app and, uh, if you think about where that then sits within the organization, it's usually handed off to be like a marketing project, right? Um, they look after a website, oh, apps, another digital channel, they should look after the app. And there's nothing wrong with marketing looking after the app, like they, they probably should, uh, because it's an extension of their brand. Um, but I think one of the big uh, challenges or, or ways in which, um, uh, you know, we certainly try and help our attraction partners is that, um, you need to really, to take advantage of an app and everything that it can offer, you need to look at it um, holistically. And I think it's really important that, you know, attractions have a trusted partner on the digital side um, to help them understand the role of technology within their organization, especially from a guest-facing perspective. Um, because although, yes, you know, uh, Attractions.io is primarily seen as a, a company that offers a mobile app. And on the surface, that can seem kind of cool. You know, it's all the big parks are doing it, can be useful for certain things. It's a tick box. And yes, we have an app for our park. Really, the app is a means to an end. Uh, and what we're really enabling is, I think, two things. You've got one is an understanding um, of your guests and what they're actually doing, their behaviors whilst they're with you during their visit. And then second, a way of influencing those guests, influencing them to have a better time with you um, and also influencing them to spend more money with you. Um, and uh, the app really is just the guest interface that, that happens to stay throughout the whole guest journey. It's the one thing uh, one piece of technology, one interface that pretty much all of your guests will have in their pocket at the time they book, all the time when they're on site and when they're back home as well. So, you know, we can really connect everything through that um, ticketing, food ordering, you know, hotel check-in, photography, all these things to make that really useful for the guest. But the other benefit of that then, of course, is because you've connected all of these things and you have an interface with the guest, um, you're able to understand what guests are doing. You'll be able to personalize that experience, influence the behavior of guests, as I say, so they have a better time um, and go on and spend more money with you. So I think getting that picture understood and getting attractions to look at this holistically, not actually as, oh, it's a mobile app, which is just a channel that marketing needs to look after. And actually instead looking at it as this is a key piece uh, of our wider digital strategy, um, uh, really like the, the linchpin of it um, in terms of what it enables. I think that's where um, certainly we try and help our attractions to, to get into that way of thinking. And I think because um, they're obviously not technology businesses, first and foremost, uh, that's something that I feel that attractions, you know, just need some help with. And, you know, the, what we also want to do is help attractions to do what they do uh, best, you know, um, in terms of the operation and delivering that guest experience. And ultimately an app and the data it collects and what it enables 
is another fantastic tool that really resonates with today's digital native visitors that they can use to do exactly that. And just helping them understand how that fits and, and how they can leverage that throughout the whole organization, not just marketing, but you know operations and guest services and so on, uh, I think is really key. Yeah. So you, you bring up a, a few really good points here as far as kind of the benefits of the mobile app of seeing their behavior, influencing the guests to have a better experience and also to, to spend more money and ultimately to improve the experience. Uh, mm. Can we expand a little bit on that as far as like the, you know, the, the business case of how does this actually help to improve a guest's experience? Because obviously our, our industry has been around for, for hundreds of years without a mobile app, but also without a lot of other, other technology <laughs> as well that has become yeah. critical components of the experience. So at what point does the guest say, does not, not just the park say, I need the app, but the guest say, I need the app because this is going to help me have a better day? Yeah, well, I think there's probably two sides to that. It's just the, the uh, evolving profile of guests. So, you know, uh, yeah, 100 years ago, parks didn't have apps, but they also, guests weren't the same. They didn't have the same expectations. They didn't have the same values. Um, one of the things I often speak about uh, is, you know, looking at the, uh, the cohorts of different demographics uh, of different generations, right? Um, I'm sure we're all familiar with the, you know, Gen X, Gen Y, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, I try and look at that in terms of splitting it down the middle into digital uh, natives and digital immigrants. And this is um, uh, a phrase uh, coined by, by an academic, but it's basically, if you, if you draw the line at 1984, you can basically say after that point, people who uh, grew up, grew up with technology around them, it consumed their lives. You know, if they had a question, uh, then they went and asked uh, Google or maybe an encyclopedia in the very, very early days. But um and that that basic idea is that's had a profound impact on uh, on people's lives and their expectations. And we know, you know, there's all sorts of data and research out there about uh, differences between different generations. And we know that digital natives um, uh, expect things to be there more on demand. Uh, they care about certain things more, sustainability, etc. Um, these are all things that really tie into to a mobile app. And so I think there's one thing which is understanding your visitors and you know we, st we still get um uh hear from people who are like you know what i don't want people going around my park uh looking at their phones um and i think i think that's a, a very sort of limited view of things and i get the sentiment of it and i actually agree with the sentiment of it because i think primarily you're looking to deliver your experience what's unique and so you don't want to detract from that you want to elevate that but i think it's it's not a black and white thing i think if you're saying um i think you can either fight it or you can you can sort of uh, embrace it and i think the smart attractions embrace it because um you know you're not gonna you're not gonna stop it like digital natives have grown up and their favorite brands um that they interact with on a daily basis uh, and you can think of all the classics, you know, Amazon, Netflix, Uber, you know, all these services that are around that, that they're interacting with on their phones, on their televisions, et cetera. They're all um, highly personalized. They're all on demand. Um, and you don't have to wait for things. You know, it's very contextual. And th th they're setting expectations for experiences across across everywhere that, 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 that those people might go and all the brands they might experience it in their lives. And I think... Um, attractions are, are brands that can embrace that and really deliver the same level of digital experience 
but do it in a way that can elevate the, the, the offering that they're actually delivering rather than detract from it. I think that's, you know, that, that is a, something I'm really passionate about because um, I think there is often this confusion of it's like a black and white thing. Like we, we don't want guests going around with their face buried in, in their phones. Uh, and actually it's interesting because if you go to a, like a, a marketer um, and you say, okay, what's, what's a good performance metric to see if a mobile app is doing, doing well, they might say, well, we want as much engagement as possible. You know, we want um, the average session time to be really high. Uh, but actually, when we design for things, we're actually designing for the opposite. You know, our philosophy is around getting out of the way of, of the guests. So, so it really is focused on making the most of their experience. So if they want to order lunch to avoid lines, they want to find their way to an attraction. It's like we're helping them do that quicker. Um, we're not detracting away from it. We're not trying to get them glued in, like sat in the corner, uh, sort of glued to their devices. We're trying to facilitate a better experience while they're on site. Um, so that's, that's something I'm really passionate about as well. Yeah, Mark, I'm glad you kind of went that direction um, with, with your comments, because that's something that I think about too, as an enthusiast, as a visitor, I don't want to have my face on the phone the whole time, right? Yes, mm. I want to use it for the things I want to use it for, mobile ordering, like you mentioned, or finding my way around, taking pictures, obviously that's a big part of it, um, uh, the experience, but um you know, there's times when I just want to have the phone in the pocket, even turn it off sometimes and just kind of walk around. And the other part of that is, you know, from the attractions standpoint, they say, well, we put all this time and money and effort into this physical environment. So no, of course we don't want our people like this, but I really appreciate how you say you want, you want to get out of the way, right? The, the technology should be there to get out of the way, to reduce wait times and, and to make things more convenient. Um, so I guess the question is, if we could dive a little deeper into that, how do you do that? How do you have this mobile device that can do so, so much, but then design it so it gets out of the way of the experience of just enjoying a day with your family and, you know, taking in all the sites, looking at all the, the landscaping and the, the theming that the park is, has uh, created? I think you do it in the same way that, you know, digital businesses approach it. And that, that's, again, that's what we're trying to really bring into these um, offline businesses, if you like. Um, so if you think of, let's go back to the example of something like Netflix, you know, their home screen uh, is designed to serve, to surface uh, movies um, and uh, shows that are going to be of interest to you based on what you've previously done in your past behavior, right? What you've shown an interest in what you've watched before. And the idea is that you can spend as much time watching the content in Netflix as possible and you're not bogged down like browsing through, like trying to find something that you want to enjoy. So that, that exact same concept, and it's really that's around personalization, um, is something that can be brought into uh, apps at attractions. And, um, you know, for example, uh, with the apps on our platform, we have this idea of a contextual home screen and it uses the behavioral information we understand of the guests. So, uh, what is their demographic? Are they a family? Are they a thrill seeker? Uh, what time of day is it? Um, because then we know what's going on around. Where are they currently on site? And we can use it to predict what they might be most interested in and just surface that immediately for them so that they're not, you know, digging around in menus and trying to um, figure out what to do. They're actually getting served intelligent, contextual um, suggestions. Just to give you some examples, it might be that, you know, you go into the app or maybe it's even a notification that surfaced to you without you needing to go into the app. But it could be that if you're, if you're with a, if I'm going with my two boys 
and uh, they're really interested in dinosaurs. And there's a dinosaur show that's about to start in 10 minutes time. And it's actually only a five minute walk away. That's, you know, the app is, it, it knows all of that and it can surface that information to you. It could be an alert at the top of the screen when you go in just to let you know that this is something you probably want to check out. Um, and it can give you directions there straight away. And it solved so many things in that one example. Um, so it solved the fact that it's something that's going to probably add a lot of value to your day. It's kind of acting as a, a VIP talk guide, if you like. If you were with an expert of the park, they'd probably say, hey, you know, do your boys like dinosaurs? There's a show starting nearby in, in a minute. Um, the app can do that for you, and it can do it then at a scale for every guest. Um, so I think, you know, I think that makes a, makes a big impact. And also giving the wayfinding again, obviously you've, you've met, mentioned the fact of you being an enthusiast. And I also love the, the phrase generally of, you know, you are not your user. And, um, I think this really applies to attraction operators that maybe are a little bit, um, thinking, oh, you know, we don't want people on their phones. I think the phrase you are not your user is really useful and it's really a, a user experience. It's got a user experience connotation and background that phrase but it applies to, to, to everyone because as an enthusiast or as me going to Walton Towers for example I know it like the back of my hand I know the directions the wayfindings etc but that's not everyone um also I'm visiting and I'm caring about my kids and what they can go on but other people are just going they just want the thrills the spills you know um so this is the technology and the role it can play really is through personalization and I think that's how you um that's how you get out of the way. You, you're super relevant and uh, you're actually just providing tips and hints and bits that, that help elevate their current experience or help elevate the experience they're going through, help them to make the most out of their visit rather than designing it for, you know, you have to just drill down and explore and figure stuff out. You know, it's, it's surfacing stuff to, to the guests. And that's only possible by being able to track the behavior of what's going on on site of knowing if they're a thrill seeker or, or they've got kids or, or what their interests are, um, what they've done previously, all of those things that I just mentioned. So that's what I'd say to that. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's interesting and kind of uh, it, not to harp on the point even further, but the, the case of, Oh, we don't want guests, you know, walking around the park on their phone. Well, if the app has everything that, is listed on the park map and guide, which if you flip over any park map, it's usually like, it's like a novel you need to read. If it's like it's first aid, there's the restrooms, there's the ATM, like all this, you walk around a park and there's people with their face buried in their map and like wondering like which way is up, which way is down basically. So being able to say, oh, you can pull out your phone and be like, oh, where's the nearest restroom? Boom, it's right here. Uh, and then especially tying it in with you saying, you know, we're, we're not looking at, um, metrics that increase session times we want you know decrease session times because it means that they've gotten the answer more quickly um i can tell you even just personally a couple of weeks ago i was at disneyland and it was my first time at you know at the park since they had you know launched their mobile app and you know we didn't get a park map and i'm looking up you know you know wait times and that helped determine where i'm going next and then uh you know we had a lightning lane for rise of the resistance and it went down right before we we went there so i'm checking the app just to see if it's back up, which was helpful and reduced the need for me to go find a cast member or walk all the way back over to that side of the park or look at those wait time boards. Um, so it definitely, definitely makes a lot of sense from that standpoint. One of the other things uh, that you mentioned too was about the operator, the park being able to see the guest's behavior and looking at 
the analytics from that. Can you talk about how that's advantageous for the operator mm -hmm. to see whether it's just passive behavior of how guests are using the app or, or just moving throughout their day? Sure, yeah. Well, I think there's lots of ways in which um, data collection is useful. I'll touch on maybe a couple. So the, the first would be, yeah, you know, just behavioral data. So where people are going, um, what they're doing. And, and that helps us to understand, uh, you know, what their demographics are as well. So there's kind of two ways you can understand a guest. You can ask them questions about what they do, or you can observe what they actually do. And actually, sometimes you'll find that um, you can ask someone qu a question on something and it won't actually marry up with what they actually do. Uh, and so the, the better way of understanding uh, guests is, is by their behavior. And so, um, you know, an app has the unique ability of being able to marry together, I think, all the different systems that are in your park because, uh, you know, a great app really connects to all those different systems. So whether it be the admission system and it connects as your digital ticket or it's your point of sale and you can be uh, ordering uh, food through to the kitchen, for example, or it's your photography. So you can view and purchase uh, your ride photos. If you've got accommodation with an attraction, it can be, um, you know, uh, hotel check-in. It can, it can tie all of these things together. And then what you're essentially doing is you're getting this uh, 360 view of your guest. And, um, you know, that, that is most useful really in the context worth talking about it kind of in aggregate, because um, by understanding uh, the different behaviors of different guests, this is where you can really design that ideal guest experience. Um, so if I layer a couple of uh, examples on here, I think there's, um, from an operational point of view, um, you've got things like uh, being able to visualize guest movements um, across uh, a day. And then if you think that you, you, there's other things that you understand. So you could say, okay, let's look at where guests flow throughout the day. So let's identify the key pinch points in the areas uh, of the park. And uh, that can be something that can help you to optimize your staff resourcing, for example, because you can layer that over um, your staff resourcing levels at different areas of the park to see if there's any discrepancies. Uh, but then it's when you start to slice on other bits of information. So you might say, okay, well, let's look and visualize where guests go on a, a sunny day versus a rainy day. Or let's see where our annual pass or season pass holders, what they do uh, in the morning versus what our uh, day ticket holders do in the morning or our thrill seekers versus our family uh, guests. So I think, you know, a lot of theme park operations uh, traditionally are based on um, people who've been there uh, for many years and they just, they just know the answers to a lot of things, right? They just almost built this instinctive uh, bank of knowledge. I think by actually tracking that through data, there's, there's two purposes that are served. One is that you can start to segment in a lot more detail. So get a higher resolution view of what's actually happening. Because as I say, you can dissect by what the weather's like or what type of guests there is there and see, see, how, see how those movements are affected. Um, but also it helps us as a communication tool because uh, within the leadership team and attraction, you know, all of a sudden, rather than some anecdotal advice from uh, your operations uh, team, um, you can actually share between all teams visual representations of what's going on and when that's driving decisions everyone can understand uh you know uh, why why certain decisions are being made and, and how that's influencing things so i think that's you know in, in terms of sort of the behavior and the location and and slicing and dicing i think that's super useful um i also think that you know you can collect very 
specific data points from guests that you want uh, and leverage an app channel to do that. So for example, let's say you launched a new restaurant um, and you wanted feedback on that restaurant and its operation. Well, you know, one of the ways if you've got an app that you can do that is you could send a notification every time someone has visited the, the restaurant as soon as they leave um, to say, hey, how was your experience? And you could literally say, you know, hey, you know, alert me when you've collected 100 data points and we'll analyze the results. So it really I think the main facilitation is that it allows you to be data driven and really share with the wider team uh, visualizations and, and data uh, to help you make informed choices um, based on what guests actually do rather than anecdotal accounts of things. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting uh, in the parks that I've worked at, you could tell th that anecdotal uh, experience, right? You know, when I worked at Universal and people would come into Islands of Adventure and it's essentially a circle. Well, it used to be with, you know, before Harry Potter. Um, but you could tell people were going to go to the left because that's where the Hulk was, you know, and they would they would follow that path. And then depending how how busy it was, you could tell what what restaurants were going to, you know, by the time, you know, lunchtime came around, if it was really, really busy, you know, the certain restaurant would get most of the business. If it wasn't busy, they get further around the circle. But I think to your point, you've got such a, a, a wider scope of data that you can you can more, more accurately pinpoint that, which I think is really cool for the operation. Um, but I want to go back to something you said earlier too, kind of a practical question about battery life, right? Because that's an issue with, with people using their technology and I know that I either take a charger or an extra case or something like that to make sure I don't run out of run out of power so I can access the app or take pictures. So is that something that you're consciously thinking of when you're designing your um, uh, your apps? Yeah, absolutely. It is. I think it's, it's so important. Um, so it's a great question, really, because it's, it's, it's something that we monitor very closely just to just to give you an idea. Um, so we monitor in our platform battery life across all devices. Um, so we basically monitor uh, throughout different hours of the day, like what the average battery life is, what percentage of batteries have depleted below certain levels, et cetera. Uh, and we have that report ran on every release we do um, so that we understand if anything we've shipped has, you know, had a negative impact on that. And that is because exactly as you say, especially if, because I think the real, the real value proposition to a guest and attraction, and obviously the likes of Disney are do, doing this well, is it's when everything's connected together and it's when it's the, it's the single touch point that can manage your day. And it's really easy to do that. It's way easier than having to queue up and speak to different people or get on the phone or, you know, it's all there. You can manage your whole day. But of course, if you're really putting, if this really is the linchpin of your guest experience and it's where you manage everything, then you're in trouble if the battery runs out, right? That's a real problem. So it, it's something that you have to pay real close attention to. And I think that's another reason that, you know, we really wanted to create the platform because if you're trying to build your own app or you're going to an agency to do a custom build, things like this are really difficult. Like, you know, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of hours we've spent on trying to optimize things like this um, because it's so critical and it's kind of the non-glamorous uh, side of things. It's like if you go to an agency and you say, hey, we want to build this app with these features, the, the last thing they're going to think about is our oh, battery life for a theme park. You know, it's, um, but, but it's something that is so important. So yes, we do. And I mean, in terms of, how you can optimize for that. Um, there's lots of different techniques. I think so, some of the big things is that um, we're available, uh, we try and be available offline first and really limit the amount of um, uh, data we need to pull over the air. So like on a, on a mobile device, the screen and the radio communication to transfer data, particularly cellular connection, 
but also Wi-Fi are, are the two biggest drains. Um, obviously, if you have any 3D content that's high in processing, augmented reality or things like that, that's also a bit a big drain. So we really focus on those as the key areas and yeah, won't get into the technical. There's lots of technical approaches you could take to try and maximize that, but um, but it is something you really do need to monitor because you know, if you've decided that this is a key part of your strategy, you want to integrate everything in there, then yeah, you better make sure that it's going to be available for the, the duration of the experience. So as parks are serving more and more digital natives, those born after 1984, do you envision physical, structural, or infrastructure changes or evolution happening within the parks that supports the digital evolution and services like you offer. So, so kind of to, to tie it in with the last question, as far as uh, should parks be implementing charging stations regularly throughout the parks, or maybe maybe it's at the platform of a ride. If I, if I want to take my phone off or if I have to put it in the locker anyway, wouldn't it be great if it was charging while it was there so it can help support my needs while I was using the app? Going back to my trip to Disneyland a couple of weeks ago, I said to my wife as we were like getting ready, I was like, I am adamant that my phone is at 100% when we park the car and get out of it, knowing that I'm probably going to use a lot of the battery life here. Uh, so, so what do you envision as far as kind of the physical environment being able to, to better support the evolution? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's difficult, really. I mean, what we would all love, I think, is for battery technology to uh, eliminate the problem altogether. You know, that would be way better than um, having to change infrastructure for this particular problem, right, of, of remaining charged. Um, so I think, you know, we already see this in numerous parks in terms of um, having charging stations or, or batteries that you can rent to take around with you, for example. Um, I've been to a few parks where, where I've seen that now. Um it's obviously a, you know, it's, it's a paid service. It's something that um, is there if you're running low. But I honestly think, you know, my, my honest belief is that um, you can uh, you can provide something that offers all day battery life with the latest with the latest devices. Um, I think there's actually there's there's a a real skew towards so it, the damage you can do by having an unoptimized app uh, is like. Is like massive and of course to, to a guest like they, they don't care about like how apps were built or what they're doing technically etc right like to them doesn't matter they're just using the app who knows what's going on behind the scenes but like it's very easy to massively drain a battery um things like the gps radio and as i say making loads of calls over the network and um it can very easily drain things um based based on our data the latest, uh, the latest devices, and you know, obviously the latest and greatest battery technology, um, you you can already last a whole day. So, so I think, um, I actually think that that I that I hope that that's not a problem. I actually hope that attractions don't need to do any infrastructure stuff around charging specifically, because I think the advancements of battery technology uh, and hopefully continually evolving you know efficient apps obviously something we really focus on as i mentioned um should eliminate the need to do that so i guess yeah you know i'm, I'm hopeful that, that that's a problem for the uh, phone manufacturers as well right like that they've got they're doing apple pay and google pay and that they want the phone to always be active they want to make payments on it so like i would like to think that the root cause could be fixed in that instance and and we won't need to build out any elaborate um infrastructure for it although right now i have to admit that yeah 
having uh, having a charging station in the lockers would be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Just came to mind. <laughs> Solving problems wherever he goes. Yeah. Um, Mark, you you've mentioned a, a couple things about um, you know battery life, and I think you called it a non-optimized app. Um, but for people maybe who don't have an app or are looking to get into it, what are some of the common mistakes that app developers make or or that parks even ask for in terms of creating the app that they think, hey, this is going to be great for our guests, but really it's a dud. Yeah, I, I think the biggest overarching theme is um, you, I think you really need to start with the outcome in mind uh, when you're embarking on a project like this. And as I touched on earlier, you've got to look at it holistically across all areas of your business. Um, and you've got to treat it like a, a big strategic piece at the center of your digital strategy. And I think if you come at it uh, from an angle where it's any less than that, and actually it's, yeah, it's a nice thing for your marketing team to deploy and sort of uh, it's a nice brochure, but actually the information you could just get from your website or something like that. I think that's where it kind of falls flat. And we, we work with a lot of attractions where they've come to us, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, we've done an app and um, it's kind of, it's not getting, you know, it's, it's, it's not got a great rating. But we, th we think we think guests kind of like it. And we're like, okay, well, what's your adoption? You know, how many guests are using it? Oh, we don't know, you know. <laughs> so it's like, I think you've, you've, it's really taking it seriously as a, a, as a strategic way in which you're going to engage with guests and really take advantage of all the things we've discussed. I think if you've gone to it with the idea of, okay, we want to just launch an app to, to digitize our map and provide some info on the rides, um, and you don't think deeply about it, then I think that's where we really find that uh, you don't get the value out of the app and you end up with something that, you know, we see this often as well, like, especially when they've gone and sort of created their own thing, they've created a brief, brief they've worked with a, uh, a partner to, to deploy an app and like, it's not been updated for like three years and the app store ratings are like, oh, this is out of date. This is because there's so much infrastructure behind it as well. Like you want to make sure that, um, your information is up to date, your map is up to date, your, you know, so you need mechanisms to do that. And if it's difficult, if it means you've got to go and do some engineering time with, with a partner or whatever, every time you need to update something, that's going to end up being a problem as well. So I think, yeah, start taking it really seriously um, as a strategic thing is probably the number one and really focusing on the outcome rather than, you know, what are you trying to drive uh, and how are you going to measure that rather than just being like, okay, here's some cool features. We just want an interactive map and we want to see, you know, height restrictions. And, you know, I think if you go, if you go that level deeper, then that's when you really get the value. Um, and it can really have a massive impact on, on the business. So Mark, we're starting to run a, a little low on time, but a, a question that I have and kind of pulling back and even tying it to back to the beginning when you said, you know, you were seven, eight years old in the backseat of the car, looking at the map and, and studying it and using it kind of as a, as a physical, tangible kind of guide for the park. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people also look at maps as souvenirs as well. And for those watching on video, I've got a 1973 map of Cedar Point back there that I'd I bought on eBay several years ago, but it's like, it's one of the coolest things just to, to look at. And then I was at the park last summer and picked up just a, you know, a, a standard <laughs> paper map that, you know, isn't going to have the same kind of, you know, nostalgia factor to it because it's, it's the standard map. Um, but I also have like boxes full of, you know, of park maps from several parks that I've visited. And being that you began as, as the enthusiast and kind of also just looking at those maps, how are you 
best serving seven-year-old mark as well as well as the you know the the digital natives and the the parks and attractions of today yeah that's a good question i think well i think you kind of touched on the subjects of memorabilia there and i think um there's some great examples of what parks do with that i I do i do think that you know in terms of the the memorabilia the if if you're a if you're a child of of that kind of age you know you, you you can't beat holding something in your hand or you know having something as a keepsake for your memories and your visit um so i think there's there's uh that that doesn't have to be fulfilled obviously through a map i mean it's interesting because many of the parks we work with now they've they've stopped printing their maps or they have a very low reserve of them and they've actually used the app to completely replace and go paperless and obviously there's lots of advantages of that in it being a better experience but also you know, helping reduce uh, paper waste and things like that, which which is all good. But I think you, it's it's about you talk about memorabilia there, and I think you know there's some great things. I I love um I love like uh, limited edition uh, things as well. You know, and little so whether it's collect collectibles, pop badges, um, you know, little limited edition run, runs of things. I I used to collect all sorts. I, I, I'm, I'm the saddo who, you know, would, would buy like a lift hill chain piece off eBay or something back, back in the day. Um, so I, I think those, those tangible things to, to, to sort of have as keepsakes and, and memory, memory savers, if you like, are, um, are still important. I don't think that, that an app really does anything, uh, for, for that, that side of eight year old me or seven year old me. Um, but, but I think that, you know, if you're digitizing a map, there's still plenty of other things that um, you can take away from a visit to an attraction uh, to remind you of that experience and to cherish and keep in your room and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Mark, this has been a, a great conversation and really appreciate all of your insight and everything you've been able to share. Um, if people wanted to know more about you, they wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about attractions IO, where would you send them? Well, of course, you can visit our website, which is uh, attractions.io. Uh, you can also email me if you're interested in any of these subjects. I always love uh, talking with peers. Um, so my email is mark at attractions.io as well. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn, et cetera. So yeah, always happy to speak with people. So feel free to reach out. Hey, what does the IO stand for? Indian Ocean. Indian Ocean. That is uh, what it stands for. Now, it's, it's, it's a weird one because it's... Um, the territory of which the domain falls is the Indian Ocean, which is why it's, it's IO. Uh, but uh, I think tech tech startups and tech businesses tend to use it because it kind of uh, alludes to input output, you know, of data. Um, so uh, obviously all the dot-com domains and everything have gone. So I think, um, yeah, there's a bit of a boom in technology companies using uh, .io. So we did it too. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for uh, your time here today. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.